Welcome to Insights and Sound, where we talk to the people behind the scenes, behind the technology, and behind the music. People you may not know, but you should. And please check out getitinwriting.net forward slash shows for a full list of our podcasts and YouTube series. My guest is Signal to Noise co-host and audio professional, Kyle Chernside. How's that? Does that work? I'm into it. Hey, you know, it's a good title. Student of audio. Yes. Student of audio. There you go. I like that. Perpetual. So um, let's talk a little bit first about your background because we have uh, peripherally crossed paths over many years. You have done a whole lot of stuff. You've been a front of house guy. You've been a monitor guy. You have worked as an operations manager for a major firm. You've done a lot of different things. Um, how did you start? I mean, obviously, obviously you started as a musician, but when did the, when did the, when did the love of the tech take over? So going back to off air, it was when I bought the Tascam M224. <laughs> My, and, and the reason I wanted that desk so bad, one, because it was used and it was, it was affordable for me, but it had four subgroups. And I was a singer in the band, so everyone had their own gear to carry and everyone was always bummed out on me because I didn't have any of my own stuff. So I bought that, a pair of Black Widow wedges, and I just started building this thing. And in St. Louis at the time, um, it was odd because there was like this level that you had to be at to go play a real club. So we were just kids in high school, just out whatever playing really bad metal and punk rock and uh we had to rent vfw halls and knights of columbus and um put a pa in there so that's basically how this all started by the way shout out to my dad and my mom because i look back and they used to carry my gear around for me like when i did start playing like at the bar level or club level your parents were your roadies yeah my dad had to come with me because i wasn't allowed to be in the bar after we played because I wasn't a scam. Look at you, man. (laughs) And uh, I never realized that as a kid. So in retrospect, that's one of the really cool things that I could say about my parents is no kidding. They supported the crap out of me. They hated every minute of it. They hated my long hair. They hated my misfits t-shirts. They hated the words that I sung. They hated everything about it. But that man was there every time. And wow. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, most of our most of our parents were not supportive of our music. So that's that's saying a lot right there. Yeah, so the crossover point was I had this friend named Greg and he was like while we were on stage Greg was our sound guy and he was good. Like he had figured this thing out like where to put mics, how to make everything not feedback, like he was good. And we actually did some four track recordings at his house and did some stupid mic techniques that we thought would be cool and turned it out really garbage, but um the crossover from me being in a band and deciding that I could do audio was Greg and I went to a local venue here. It used to be called the animal house with three sixty club, three sixty seven, And we walked in and we were watching the front of house guy and it was a bad local show. And we we're like, Hey man, how do we get jobs here? We, we want to work here. And he was like, well, fuck this. You guys can start next week. And uh, we got 50 oh. bucks a night. And we split at 25, 25, and we'd either go to White Castle or Taco Bell and we'd, we'd switch and we'd spend that whole 25 basically there and just eat garbage food all night. It was great. But that's when I realized that, Hey, I think we could, I think I could do this. So my, my best friend and I just, uh, just started to take this path. And, uh, I realized really fast that 
hold on. I didn't have to play tonight. I just had to set up this PA and I made money. What? Crazy, crazy idea. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Although you're still working, you know, and, and in a sense, you realize pretty, pretty quickly that you are a very, very important part of the band, even though you're not on stage. So, you know, that's, that's gotta be, but, but it's kind of cool the way you, the way you immediately fell into it and realized the value of it, you know? Yeah. And discuss this with a bunch of my friends and that endorphin rush is like no other. Um, the impact of a live show, whether you're oh yeah, just a tech on stage pushing cases or you're doing monitors or you're doing front of house or you're a lighting person or video, or even if you're doing pyro, like the endorphins of that downbeat, are what we do this for. And um, I always tried to replicate what I had when I was doing the punk rock. It's super energetic, super hard metal, just like trying to bring it like as hard as possible to the people. So you could, you could get that endorphin rush back from them. And it was just a natural change. Like I wanted to be this artist, right? So there, everyone has the artist story. Oh, I'm going to be a great guitar player. I'm going to be a great, whatever. And um, I needed to replicate that art and that endorphin and mixing made that happen. Like, cause you do have this like control. You are an artist. Yeah. Yeah. You you are an artist. And and in a certain way, you are really the conduit between the artist and the audience. And, you know, you're, you're conveying that performance for them. Yep. And, you know, as being a player versus taught how to do this, like you immediately start coloring outside the lines. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you try stupid stuff just because you think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to change the world on how this thing sounds. <laughs> Probably not the best idea to do all the time, but working in really garbage clubs and garbage PA and, you really get to hone an art along with tech and um, the adrenaline. Like we were talking uh, the other day about it with Michael Lawrence, who's, you know, out doing a tour right now for his first time at that level. And he's like, I don't even have time to look at my phone. Like I'm doing this, the doors open on the truck, the doors close. And then I'm like, Oh, I got a phone. Explain that to someone who works in an office. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You really, you know, you have to be so engaged and so plugged in and so in the moment, you know, and, and I think part of that is really just the fact that you are in this position of, because you're a conduit, because you're really working to convey something, you know, you're conveying like art through technology. And that takes a lot of brain power, man. It does. It takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of being fully present in the moment that's yeah. what it is uh, it it's a feel yeah as well and i recognize this right off like i would lean my leg against the console or the desk that the console was on and if i was on a riser or whatever to feel the vibrations and mm-hmm. how they were if they were hitting smoothly everything was was vibrating coherently I felt like that was my pocket, 
you know, sometimes in small rooms or basements or churches or wherever you're, you know, the garbage places that you play, finding that pocket is difficult because you're dealing with all kinds of variables that you never are in an arena or a stadium or whatever. So I use the vibrations as if a guitar player would or a drummer would or a piano player or a vocalist. The vibrations are what made me make feel good. And um, took me a while to recognize that one, but uh, I was doing it subconsciously for since I've been doing it. It it's odd. Well, and and it's interesting because you know it, it's you're right. It it becomes an intuitive kind of thing. It and it's the same thing like you know when you first start learning an instrument, you have to really pay attention. You have to do a lot of learning, muscle memory stuff, left brain concentration stuff, and at a certain point. Same thing with this kind of work, man. It just, it clicks in and you feel that you have enough of an intuitive control over it that it's like, I know what's going to happen. If I do this, I know what it's going to sound like. Right. We had a conversation going on. We were talking about the idea of undermiking symbols, <laughs> which sounds like such a great idea when you first hear about it. And then you I definitely have a story about that one too. Like shit. Yeah. Yep. You know, I think it was on the discord channel that we were talking about it in, in the signal, to noise group. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it really sounds like a great idea, but you know, once you've tried it once, you know exactly what the pitfalls are. And, yep. you know, once, once you've been in the studio and you've used midside miking to record an acoustic guitar, yeah. you know, okay, I know exactly what this is. I know when it's really a good idea. I know when it's really a bad idea, you know, yeah. and those are the kind of things that I think just, they that's where you cross the bridge from being an engineer to an artist. Right. You know, and if you're a really good engineer, you are an artist. For sure. And I, I believe wholeheartedly watching people that I was watching when I was a kid mixing who they mix. Now they get hired for their art, not for, not for who they are or what their price is. Like those top A-list engineers are, hired because of the way they do their business. And and it's almost like a baseball player at the end of the day, you know, it's like, it's how you go about your business that, that makes you the artist, you know, like everybody's arm angle is different when they're pitching. Same thing with, uh, same thing with, you know, tricks and, and coloration and representing the band It's so much cooler now with the technology that we have, you can make it as if that seat is the same as this seat with a little variance and like, yeah, that, that, that one I love. Like that's an art form, man. You know, that, I mean, if you think about it, and then that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about too, because you have been in this industry through a hell of a lot of technological change and yeah. innovation as have I. And I wanted to ask you about that. So you segued very nicely into it. How, cool. how does that, well, first of all, you know, let's talk a little bit about staying current, but more importantly than that, how these new technologies impact the way we do our work. To total paradigm change on a lot of stuff, man. You don't just stack boxes anymore. No. And that used to be the whole game, you know, and props to the people that did that. Um, I met a few of them over my tenure and I'm blessed to have because, mm -hmm. um, I learned where fullback came from, you know, like <laughs> I, I needed to hear that story. So 
my first of my career, this is year 30, I went from analog to digital and I was one of the, I wouldn't say first adopters, but I was out touring when digital started to come. And I watched a lot of the older uh, engineers, mixers out there really not embrace this thing. And, I was there uh, for that too. I, I helped one particular company with rolling out a digital console. So, so did I know I. of what you speak. So did I. So um, I, I toured with an XL4 for as long as I could until mm-hmm. they could pry it from my cold, dead fingers. That's what I always <laughs> said. I was like, I'm going to take the XL4 until you pry it. I wanted to get the belt buckle and everything. But um, <laughs> Midas came towards me in about 2006 when they were designing XL8 all secretively. And um, I, as a young engineer, we talked about Jack Cotney and, you know, Keith Clark had just done interviews with me. Like I got an interview that like I justified my job to my parents finally. All right. Uh-huh. And uh, I went to Birmingham and this little Mercedes took me into the the village and dropped me off at this house and I walk up to the door and Big Mick answers the door and after I shit my pants yep. I go inside <laughs> and uh there's a spaceship sitting in his living room and I'm there to help go through some of the form factor of how this desk is supposed to perform. Now, a lot of that stuff was done before I got there. I've, I've talked to the people that use the building blocks on the piece of paper and they roll out a thing and be like, this is ergonomically. This thing sounded like my XL4. The knobs turned like a heritage. It felt like a heritage to me. Like it felt like the Bosch Telex thing. And um, I still loved it. Like the coloration was there and I got to mix battery off of multi-track while Mick and the other gentleman went into the, the kitchen and talked shop. Holy cow. Um, a boy, a boy's dream. I, I listened to master puppets till I had to buy a new cassette. Um, so embracing the new technology was a thing of mine and the band at the time couldn't afford it. So we passed on XLA. And I started to see one D's and five D's and the D five are the D one and the D five by Digico. And, mm-hmm. um, I saw some people out touring with XL eight and I was bummed out and the guys from Midas called me on my next tour and they're like, Hey, we have a new format. We want you to take it out. You'll be our first, you'll basically be alpha. So I was the first person to basically launch pro six. Yikes. And, uh, my first show was in Australia in Melbourne Ooh. and, it showed up in a crate and I pulled it out and I had to mix a show that night and I never turned back. And as much as I thought I had lost out by losing all these cool heat creating items that I had hand picked, I think that's worth talking about is like you get to a level where you get to fucking pick all that crazy outboard that you saw in everybody saying ML yep. Howard page, like Robert Scoville. You're like, Oh, I got, I got this fucking thing. Yeah. Holy cow. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now moving over to digital, I, I, I definitely had to embrace it and I became an expert at it. That's what my motivation level was at that time is I wanted to be an expert at this console because I felt I felt like I owned it. Mm-hmm. That company made me feel like I owned that. Like if someone was going to come talk to someone about a Midas console digital, 
they were going to come talk to me and and i wanted to own it it was kind of like a an animator getting their first job for pixar or disney was well, it's 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 wanting to become a master of an instrument yeah and owning you know? it and being a part of it like that thing yeah. is that's that's mine yeah yeah that's that's really and and i think that in particular i mean you know you can point to a lot of different bits of gear and everything but really digital just changed everything for us in so many ways if 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 nothing else just the idea of being able to recall everything is that's that's a quantum leap for all of us you got to that's see consistency you got to see though people be scared the shit out of it and are like it was threatening their job type thing oh absolutely absolutely on the other hand you know now it's created new jobs you know yeah. it's like now we have people coming in and and you know that's another thing that i wanted to segue into is you know all of the mentoring and stuff mm -hmm. that you've been doing with a lot of younger generation too there's people coming in now who you know there were no jobs like you know a systems tech you know and and now people can come in and they they can make a career out of it just knowing you know certain it technologies and stuff and be yeah. indispensable because the technology has evolved to that point where everything's over a network yeah and it's it's brilliant how everything became experts at that thing yeah oh yeah. i'm a i fly the right stage right pa i am an expert at doing that that's what i get hired to do is fly stage right you know but you know what's cool about that also is that if you're coming in and you get to do all of these different jobs and start to understand how they all fit together in the big picture of what the network is that's where you start, you know, I mean, if you're talking to a, somebody just coming out of school or just starting out, you know, that's where you really start to make your mark and you really become indispensable. And you also become just a better hang because you oh, know man. what everybody else is going through. You know what made me become a better hang now that you say it is being the house guy at subpar venues for when I wasn't out doing a van tour with a crappy hardcore metal band or pop or rap rock or whatever i was at home working at a crappy venue and we uh -huh. always we always said hey man if you're playing our venue you're either on the way up or the way out so dealing with that at that level is that's how that makes you a better hang because you see the worst of the worst and you see the best of the best and you're just a stop you know so being a good hang and seeing the people constantly make the circuit, you know, they might necessarily not be with the same band when they come back, but that familiar face as a house person rules, because yeah. if you can yeah. be a good hang and if they remember you from last time, whether they were with the way in or the way out, man, your day goes so much better. It's, it's the relationships that you build through this thing. And I think if you get stuck on one side of it, if you're stuck touring or if you're stuck at a venue, you kind of miss out on half the shit that's going on for real, because yes. you don't yes. know what the venue people are talking about. We don't know what the people on the bus are talking about. Right. But if you're stuck you at a venue, then everybody's just somebody that came in for the day and then they're gone, you know? Yep. And, and if you're, if you're stuck on tour all the time, then every single stop just becomes a blur and you're in your bubble, you know? So yep. it, it, it really does help to experience both sides of that, you know? It is. And I think 
it's still a great market. You know, post COVID, I think those shows are going to be spectacular because we used to do underplays. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Green Day did them for a long time, Steel Pole, Bathtub. I forgot what the name of their group was, but like a band of an arena caliber, stadium caliber coming in and doing a fake show at a venue like that is. Oh, that's fun. Endorphins times two. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, and bands that are coming up are so hungry because they've been stuck at home, right? And stuff, and they don't have any outlet. So those those mid-market venues are going to dis- like totally reinvent music right now. I, th- I think. Which is great because if you think about it, those are the venues that were the hardest hit by COVID. Yeah, man. Because so many, I mean, you know, the, the larger venues, the larger production companies, you know, the AEGs of the world, I mean, they're not hurting. They had enough deep pockets to be able to weather this. But, you know, the smaller clubs, the mid-sized clubs, it's going to be so great to see them coming back. Yeah, we lost two here in St. Louis, uh, under a thousand caps, but that's mm-hmm. like, you got to be safe to send your kids there. But there's a lot of venues that we lost under a thousand caps that are all ages. And I think that's important as well. Is like when I was a kid, I used to skate to the venue. If my, mm. if my mom was here right now, she would probably kill me. But <laughs> I used to skate downtown St. Louis and see a matinee punk rock show and jump on the bus and get home before she knew I was really downtown where I shouldn't have been. <laughs> but I, I think there's value in that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I remember doing a public enemy show when I was a kid and I was insane. Like that was my favorite band on earth. Like if I could been flavor fucking Flav, I would have been flavor Flav. And, um, I heard them talking backstage and I heard a bunch of the crew guys talking and they're like, Hey man, you know, it's the kids that are out there paying for the music. It ain't the old people. Like the old people are buying the tickets for those kids to go to shows. So it's like they're fueling the industry on this fan base. And I, I think those mid-level clubs are going to really kick ass once stuff gets moving again. Amen. I, I sure hope it happens. We, we all need that. And, you know, and people want to come into this industry and work, man. Yeah. And which, and- which will, will segue nicely into the other thing that I really want to talk to you about because you and your compadres have been doing such a great job of just, <laughs> bringing the community together. And I just freaking love it. You know, I, I really, um, I have been really happy to be on your show, but more importantly, I've been really happy to just, you know, listen to all the episodes and stuff and also see the, the mentoring that you guys are doing. I think it's so important to be, to be building these bridges in our community for people coming in because, you know, I mean, I, talk to so many students who just you know their attitude is i'm going to come in i'm going to be a rock star i'm going to be you know a famous producer i'm going to make my beats you know whatever it is but it's like never heard that story yeah and that that, (laughs) but that's the only job they see you know and for you guys to be doing so much to be able to say hey guess what there's 400 other jobs that you're not even aware of you know you see that guy running around at the show right over there do you know what what he does do you know what she does over there You know, that kind of stuff, man, I think it's just wonderful. I really do. And it was all kind of by accident because um, I saw this button on our Facebook. Michael doesn't have a Facebook, so me and Chris kind of do that thing. And it was a mentorship program. And 
you could probably speak on this as well. When I was a younger gentleman and I'd go to shows and I'd want to watch the front house mixer and I had to choose between, am I, am I going to go watch the show or am I going to stand back here and watch this dude? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we got shoot away and there was a lot of gatekeeping in audio period. There was a lot of gatekeeping and entertainment period. Sure. Let's just put it at that. Whether you're a broadcast engineer or you're a lighting person or whatever the case, it, gatekeeping was a thing. Certain people would do certain things and they'd shoo you off. They'd be like, get the fuck out of here, kid. Yeah. Like, and they wouldn't want you to see what they were doing on the channel. They wouldn't want you to see what they're doing in the lighting rig. So to me, being the angry metal punk rock kid i was like i wanted to blow that up so now that we can do it as a team and a community which i will speak on this i don't know how we've had we're almost up to four thousand members on our facebook and we haven't had but a couple shitty posts where we have to go in and stop people from talking about stuff that we don't need to be talking about and that is insane i i can't believe it so the community that we're building is very, very, they're all smart, man. And um, I Other hope than we I, were when we were their age. Yeah. Yeah. I, I <laughs> hope that they're listening and taking something away. So Michael, by far technical ability of that dude is insane. And his thought process and the way he, the way he goes to business is amazing. Like I, I get to go see him in here in a couple of weeks on this tour. I cannot wait. Yeah, I get to see him in about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, the business aspect and his background of what he's done for like presidential elections and the Eagles thing, like I can't fathom that. And he's he's lived. There's part of that dude I probably don't know about yet, but he's lived life and he really comes up with some really good bits that are like. Wow, man, I never thought about it that way. We talked today and he was like, you're selling yourself. You're selling your personality first. You know, someone might look at a resume for two minutes, but it's that face to face, that phone call, that thing. It's the human connection, that connection. You're going to sell yourself. And that's, that's going to be, if you get the job or not. And with the digital media that we have now, a lot of people have lost that communication skill. And uh, um, either that or they're too much about themselves. Like they always just keep bellowing things about themselves. There's some of those, there's some of those, but I think you're right. There's also, uh, there's a lot of people who have not really been able to develop those communication skills. Hang on. I got a text message. (laughs) Yep. Talking to someone like that. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And I think we can help develop at that too. So, my role with the mentorship program, I don't even like to call them mentors at this point because I'm just talking to people. And that is the best part because I can talk, I can answer some questions. Maybe I can't answer some questions. Maybe it's a time thing where you have to go through the process. Like you have to, there's no way you can get to A to B. You can't be making beats and me and a producer if you don't do all the stuff in between. Exactly. And, uh, I think the stuff in between, you live very emotively. And uh, the control between the emotive and getting it done is probably the hardest bit. Is like you always, you know, you might even feel 
oh, I can't get this done, man. I can't get it done. Or you're hard on yourself or you're a little bit too overzealous. So you got to find a fine balance. It's like going on tour for the first time. You've got to find a fine balance between your mental stability and your goal. Because if you can keep those things a little bit congruent to each other, then you might succeed. And uh, I think that all leads back to the communication that you have at the beginning. You know, um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm learning stuff from these people. So I talk to them, give them some information, and then they tell me something back. And I'm like, holy cow, man, I need to talk to you next week. Like, I got, I found a new therapist. <laughs> so, well, and it's true, man. And that's, you know, that's one of the beautiful things I've always loved about this, this industry, this community that we have is that, man, so many of these, colleagues become really lifelong friends, you know, and people you can really just pick up the phone and talk to like a friend. And that to me is really one of the best things about it is that we, we get to know each other on such a close level, you know, and especially if you're on tour with someone, but even, even just knowing that you're going through such a similar experience, I, yeah. I think building community is so important that way. And just understanding the human connection because we're all in this because we love music, because we love to get something across and, and convey something, you know, and influence each other. So, man, the idea of just being able to communicate with each other on that kind of level is just so great. Yeah. And I always go back to the emotive, man. We're doing it because it sparks endorphins and serotonin and yep. like it makes us feel good, whether we're listening to the music, creating it, watching it, help it be produced. Like it, it's, it, it's like the text message, you know, you're waiting for that reply. When that reply comes in, you're like, Oh dude, I got a thumbs up. Are you kidding me? All right. Yep. The music is a continuous like and when it stops it's like you're chasing the dragon uh-oh you chase the dragon to get that next bit of endorphin rush and that's that's a touring person that's someone who works at a venue that's someone who sits in studios and mixes albums that's someone who sits and programs their show at their computer before they get there that's an endorphin rush man and jeff holly said great things like and and of course we're an audio podcast but he said if you sell a music stand, you're in the music business. And I think that's a really good statement because I think a lot of people have the dreams of grandeur like you. They want to be a producer. They want to make beats. They want to sell their stuff. They want to sell themselves. That's the end game. They got to fill that middle up with the middle game. And, uh, and they also got to discover that there's other stuff out there besides that. You know, it's like, wow, I discovered things about myself over my lifetime that I would have never imagined myself doing and getting joy out of. And, you know, honestly, I got to say, I'm, I'm glad I never became a public figure in that sense. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, as well as I do, man, like what kind of life does a rock star lead when they can't go to the supermarket when they want to, you know, that's a bummer, man. And, yeah. yeah. And I got to see that with a couple bands where their first album was on, uh, indie label or a minor of a major and then their next album was on a major label and i started with them during that transition and you know you park at the mall for your day off and the hotel's behind you and the mall's over there and that was your thing like yeah. you went to the hotel you took a shower you dropped your stuff off you went to the food court went to a movie and walked around and bought stuff that you really couldn't afford because you had per diems you know and when that stops and 
he can't walk to the mall with you anymore and can't go to the movie theater unless you rent the whole thing out anymore. And they're surrounded by handlers and communication becomes that much more complicated because you still have to go through layers. Even if you're, you know, it's like, it's it's just a different lifestyle. And I, you know, I don't begrudge it to anyone, but no, I, I have to say, I think so many people that I know are glad they didn't get there, you know, even though that's where they wanted to be. Ultimately, I know so many people who are just really grateful that it turned out differently. And we have a normal gig in an industry we love, you know? Yeah. And it's a fine line because we've talked about this on the show too, is like after the show, you see everybody out on their cell phones making amends with their relationships, whether it's their mom, their dad, their sister, their brother, their cousins, their, their, their lady, their man, whoever it is, is like, you're trying to sit there and make up that 16 hour day that you just had where you were so enthralled that you didn't have time to pick up your phone and text. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, no matter, no matter how long a call it is, you're never going to really be as in touch as if you're there, you know? Nope. It's a very, very you, mental health in our industry is, is it's starting to be talked about. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's a very important thing because I did a few tours where I invite a friend out to be a tech, you know, help me out on stage, do some monitors, whatever. We're doing club tour and they couldn't sleep on the bus. Mm-hmm. Or, and you want to talk about sleep deprivation and oh. things happening and anger and like, yeah, um, it's it's hard. And you can't explain that to anybody who doesn't do it. Like, I don't know how many girlfriends I've told in the parking lot what I do and and why I didn't call. It wasn't because I was doing anything against them. It was because I was I was in a different world. Sorry. Yeah. I w- and yeah. that's the same thing as being in a studio. I'm in a session. Exactly. Did, and you're I, in this bubble and the relationships that you have, the people that you're surrounded by, they're in the bubble with you. You know, it's like, how many times have you been on a tour and you don't remember what city you're in, you know? Yeah, man. And and it's like, they had to write it at the top of the set list. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's groundhog day all over again. You know, it's like, okay, where's the mall? Where's the, you know, where's the stuff that I know next to my hotel? Because you really don't have a realistic lifestyle for that period of time. And you therefore don't have realistic relationships, you know, I mean, you end up with, uh, you know, work spouses and work roommates and stuff like that because yep. that's who you're surrounded by, you know. And it it really does become – it's something that you need to understand going in. Can't it's explain that lifestyle. to anybody. It, it, it's helped out that, that touring is more of a structure now. It's yes. a thing. It's a company. It's an LLC on wheels. Yes. It's, it's a thing now because – It's modernized. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. I started, it was on the tail end of cocaine and drugs and rock docks and alcohol every night. And like, there was no rules. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw the transition between that into a bunch of kids on MacBooks looking at, at, you know, TikToks and Facebook. And like, so I saw the changeover of that too. And it was a lot more comforting me knowing that yes our tm our pm our crew chief our whoever it was was looking out for us hey man no more beer on the bus hey man no more smoking up in the front 
with the bus driver. Hey man, let's try to go to bed at a decent time. So that was unheard of in the late nineties, early nineties. Like you tell grown ass man to, I can't have this beer at 3 AM in the dark. (laughs) You know, no one would have said that back then. And uh, now it's like healthier. I, I would say healthier. Um, it's definitely not the healthiest lifestyle, but it's healthier than it was. I think in general, you know, things have definitely improved and, you know, people coming in the industry now, they're not facing quite as many of the same pitfalls. There's different ones, you know, and, and the lifestyle is still difficult, but, you know, like I said, there's also, there's a lot of different dynamics now. There's, you know, thankfully there's a lot more women and diversity in general in our crews and that makes here, here. more balanced. Yes. You know, it's like being being stuck on a bus for six months with nothing but a bunch of smelly guys. I'm sorry. You know, even that like now that I'm a dad of two ladies they and 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 my actual lady, they shoot better than me. They clean up better than me. They finish tasks while doing other tasks better than me. Uh they have instincts that I don't have. Like it's it just like encourage it, you know, like, and, and that's the gatekeeping thing that I go back to is like, stop it. Like if someone has a passion for this thing and they have all those attributes, yeah, it doesn't matter. Dude, exactly. you could have, you could be yeah. blue. Come on, come on in, it. join the club. You know, I, I think it's so great, man. I really do. Yeah. And, and there's so many good support methods and I hope that we're a conduit for that, you know, getting people from sound girls and wham and uh, roadies of color. And even like this is an awesome time for us. It really is. And um, I'm glad to be a part of it. And I don't want to say that the mentorship programs, all young people, it's not like I'm hooking up 50 year old men with like they always wanted to talk to chad olick or robert scoville or they always and and michael's like oh yeah let me check with them i'll give you yak's phone number whatever like yep so the ability for us to be able to do that and now all those those people that i mentioned are are like wow you guys are doing something different that's crazy so if you find a a person that needs to be connected with someone i'll do it and it's like Whoa, Michael, Chris, and I don't have to take care of all these folks. They can actually talk to someone we had on the show. And it's kind of like a celebrity for them, you know, like, heck yeah. Like for, for those people to take time out of their life to want to spread knowledge and help somebody out, whether it's just to talk to them, you know, Hey man, how'd you get your kick drum sound? Oh, I put a mic in the drum. It's crazy. Whatever the answer is, like you, you just you just made a story for that kid. Well, not just that, but you've you've connected the dots, and I think connecting people is the most valuable thing. It's what I try and do in my work, and you guys do an amazing job of it. And thank you, man. It just you know it, it makes me happy to see. It makes me happy to see that we can all come together to really not just build, but nurture this community. It's freaking awesome, man. It really is. It is. And as many times I think I'm not going to be a part of it, like 
Chris, here's something that Chris always says. Sometimes you got to make career decisions. Sometimes you got to make life decisions. And obviously moving through the cycle where I'm at, like I'm making life decisions. And Mm -hmm. um, I think there's, there's certain merit to being able to communicate to a community. Um, I couldn't do this when I was 30. Like that would have just been awkward. I couldn't have done this when I was 40 because I was building a family. Uh, But now that I've reached this thing, now it's easier for me to look back in retrospect, break everything up into chapters and be like, okay, here's my venue days. Here's my touring days. Here's my music days. Here's my manufacturer days. You know, I Mm -hmm. work for manufacturers as well. And, and be able to put those all together for this community. And dude, that's why Michael and Chris are so cool. Like the dynamic that we have with each other. And I think it's engaging. It's fun. It's just like sitting on the bus and having a discussion or sitting at the studio at the coffee table. Like, yeah. um, And that's what, that's what you guys do. That's what, what I try to do as well is, you know, we can talk shop all day long, but what's really important is just to talk like humans, you know, like just after the gig, you know, just have a, a conversation. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, man, we have the best stories, you know, the yeah. rock stars don't have the good stories. We have the good yeah. stories, you know, and half of them we can't tell. But I think it's great that, you know, I when you tell them. those stories, when you when you can record a show with somebody where you're telling those stories, that's where 15 year old future us listens and says, I can relate to this. Yeah, man. OK. Right. Yeah. When I was a kid, I hated this glam rock thing. I hated, I was like, wow, poison, those chicks are hot. And um, my friend took me to my first arena gig and it was Motley Crue and Warrant for a Dr. Feelgood tour. And I'd never been to an arena show. I always went to the crappy punk rock basement club or the metal club or whatever. And um, I was like, oh God, this is awful. And after I left that show, I wanted to know no more than what those dudes did because I saw Tommy Lee take a fifth of Jack Daniels and just smash it. Like that's a story I want. Like, and I I do a bunch of um, student summits too. Like I try to I try to jump on this one here in St. Louis. Um, the largest AES student run summit is here in St. Louis, and um, we have a sat a Sunday morning star- uh, storytelling panel and um that is the best thing like it's packed it is packed they have to shut the doors there's so many people that want to come in and listen to all these panelists just tell stories and the value of that the value of them walking away is like seeing a good movie they all walk away with a smile on their face or they walk directly to you and they want more yeah like um it's a consumable man and don't get me wrong. There's certain people who do want to talk tech all day. They really do. Absolutely. Like they want to know every part number for everything ever made in the history of ever being made. And God bless them. You know, I, I, I appreciate that too, but I also think that there's a certain human element that has to come across and has to be shared in order balance. to really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can know, know every part number, but just say thank you every once in a while or, or acknowledge <laughs> other folks every once in a while yeah oh, and, man it's true it's and, really true and the story gives that kid merit to approach that thing that like you said the timeline you're never going to be a front of house a lister or whatever until you finish all this stuff in the middle 
and you can't. And, yeah. And until you understand all of that stuff and how all that stuff fits into the bigger constellation, you know, <laughs> that's when you're going to, not only are you going to do a better job, but you're going to be a better human to all those other people because you're going to know what they're going through while you're going good, through your thing. Good hang. Yes. You, be, you become a good hang way before you become an A-list anything. It's so true, man. Hopefully. It's so true. And you know what? If you're not a good hang, you're never going to become an A-list person because they're not going to give you the chance. No one's going to want to work with you. Yeah, definitely. So. If you become a good hang, don't forget the fact that you still have to stay current and still have to do the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and still just, have to be a good human too. Yeah. Good you know? human, know your stuff, ask questions, you know, be a part of the community, you know, don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I love, man. Just be a part of the community, respect everybody, you know, cause you were where they are, you know, or you will be where they are, you know, in one way or another, we've all got something to learn from each other. Yeah, and never use age or experience to think that some someone younger isn't going to come and show you up. Um, yep, I, I I hear that a lot, and it kind of bums me out now. Now that I hear it more and more, is like someone will tell you something, and your answer is, "Hey, man, I've been doing this for thirty years." Right, uh, right. Well, you don't know this bit because I'm actually an expert at that thing. So not just that. Yeah, yeah. Not, not just that, man, but a lot of times it's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and this is the way we've always done it. And that's not necessarily the best answer. You know, no. maybe there's a better way. Nope. You know, Rem maybe something has changed and now the better way to do it is not the way you've been doing it for 30 years. Yep. And, that and that's why I mean, I've to... learned so much from like, you know, I, I, I learned so much from people younger than me for that reason, because man, yep. they're, they're approaching things completely differently. You know, there's generations of people now who have never known life without digital, without an internet, you know, without an iPhone. And all of that makes such a difference. It's like they're approaching problems completely differently than I would, you know? You need to have my eight-year-old on the show. <laughs> Dad, what did you do without YouTube? Right. Well, I rode my bike and skateboard, and then sometimes I would get in fights with other kids. Okay. A lot of times I would just get in fights with other kids. But then what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. then what how'd yep. you call home <laughs> exactly exactly um, but um yeah, yeah. Ne never discount the fact that the specialty of someone might be better than your years of experience like exactly exactly i'm, st or I'm still just asking questions and, just their uh, focus just you know the fact that they picked up some bit of information that you didn't get you know the first time around it happens man now i love what you guys are doing and uh Man, we love having you on it. the show. Always. Thank you. It's Thank always you. so cool. And, and uh, you know, I mean, all you guys know it already. I'm I'm participating as much as I can in anything that you guys want me on, you know, the mentorship stuff, all that stuff. Man, let's let's do this. Let's make our little corner of the world that much better. For sure. I'm with it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for um, being my guest. It's been a pleasure. Five-year-old five me wouldn't be able to explain this to myself right now because... <laughs> I never thought that this thing would do this. And that's what's cool about today is tomorrow is going to be completely different. And yep. Yep. I'm I'm on a I'm on a podcast with, with you. That's amazing. Like dude, and likewise. I feel thank the you same, so much. Man. Appreciate it. Kyle Churnside, thank you for being here. Yeah, man. 
Hey, I'm Daniel Keller. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and join us each week for Insights and Sound.